phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back. It's me, your host, Floyd, once again with Federation Radio. And here we go with this episode 25, This Side of Paradise, where I'm not going to go over this episode like bit for bit as the story unfolds, because honestly, it's a pretty simple story, but it's a cool one. It's pretty much a story, so we get a lot of these in Star Trek, of paradise, the utopia colonies, the utopia planets. We get lots of these little stories of these little paradises where people have sort of given up technology or they've gone back, but usually it always ends up being for a weird reason. They're either like a weird cult following, they've been forced here. In this case, it's to do with the plants that are basically drugging them with spores. I did find it interesting because it almost seemed as if the spores were not of this planet originally and the spores came there at some point, which made me think they're intelligent, but none of the characters ever brought that up again, so I kind of... maybe they're not. I don't know. Because they came to this planet, what was it called? Omicron Seti 3, which is a planet that never comes up again, although it's kind of interesting that it doesn't because one of the side effects of the spores is that it gives you perfect health. Because that's one of the first signs that something's wrong at the colony, is that everyone's in perfect health. And as the doctor said, he's not saying that as a joke or a compliment, like, perfect health. They couldn't have better organ functioning if they tried. People from ages 20 through to their 60s, he was finding, were all in perfect health. No scarring, no scar tissue at all, no organ failure. No issues at all, not even signs of sickness. And when he went through the medical files, he discovered that on top of that, one guy, the head of the colony, had scar tissue on his lungs from when he had pneumonia, and he also had his, what was it? His appendix out. And yet when he scanned him, his appendix was there, functioning just fine, and the scar tissue didn't exist, which was the first big, like, okay, something really weird's going on with this planet moment. Now... At first, not a whole lot happens. They come down. It's like a farming, agricultural type of colony, and it's exactly what you'd expect. Now, they actually came down because there's something called Berthold Ways, which I tried looking up, and apparently it's either not really a thing or it's just something they came up with for this episode. I don't know. I couldn't find any evidence of, like, Berthold Ways being a real thing at all. But whatever, it was the story reason. So Bertolt Ways in the story were supposed to disintegrate all living tissue when it comes in contact with it. Now, other than the fact that they were all in perfect health, Kirk went down with, obviously, a crew of people to have a look around. He brought some biologists and stuff like that, but he also brought Spock and, and uh, McCoy, of course, because original Trek, the trio, they go everywhere together. Sulu was down on the planet too, although admittedly he didn't play a very big role in this episode. He was just kind of around. Now, Spock is actually the very first of their people to be infected, which is really interesting, because when... Well, sorry, I should specify the spores from the... I don't remember if I said earlier. The spores from the flowers hit you, and you get this, like, euphoric feeling. Everyone feels just absolutely happy and content, but they have no drive to do anything more. So that's why, like, they've been here for a couple years now, and yet the colonists live in, like, three small settlements. And they're very basic. And according to their colony leader, no one on the planet had the expertise to fix the radio to be able to send messages or contact Earth at all. Which is why, you know, no one had heard from them in four years. Because it took a full year for them to get there, and now they've been here three years, and they've heard nothing. 
So, when Kirk made contact with Starfleet when he first got here, and they had established, yes, there are people here, but always somehow having killed them, what do we do? Starfleet told him he is to evacuate the colony. He's to take the people up. He's to get them out of there for their own safety because the Bertolways will kill them. Now, I don't know. It's interesting because I'm almost of the mind of like, does Starfleet even have the authority to do that? Because it seems like this colony set up not under Starfleet's banner. Like this colony was set up by a bunch of people who wanted to go without technology and live a simpler life. Do Starfleet even have the authority, once they're set up, to show up on a planet that they have not claimed and tell people who are not their citizens to leave? I don't know, it was weird. From my perspective, because I'm a very kind of anti-government a lot of the time sort of person, like, that seemed odd to me. That seemed like a huge trampling on their rights, although, at the same time, if the planet, well, the star from the planet, really is sending out waves of radiation that could fry and kill everyone on the planet, well, you know then it could be seen as not superseding their authority, but being more of a charitable act. We're here to help them. I don't know. I still feel like Kirk's, the way he went about it, were evacuating the colony instead of sitting down with the leader and trying to discuss it. He just kind of said, this is what's happening, as if it was an order. That wouldn't have sat very well with me. I, I tell you what, that would have pissed me off. But, um... Uh, we see that a lot from the Federation. That's It's an interesting... The Federation claims to be like a paradise where everyone lives these great lives and they're free to pursue what they want to pursue and there's no economy and all these things, but we see time and time again there's a whole lot of Federation oversight and government overreach on a lot of colonies and places where it doesn't seem to be very welcome. And these people don't seem to have... They keep saying they have all these rights, but a lot of the time it doesn't seem like that's the case. It almost seems like the people are just toys in the Federation's game at times, where they just move them around the board as they feel. I mean, we'll get more into that sort of stuff later in Trek, specifically to do with, like, the Cardassian-Romulan borders, where we've got the demilitarized zones where some people live, and those people sometimes get abandoned, sometimes don't get a choice in whether their planet is in the Federation or not. They just get abandoned or told you are now in it because you live here like like i said that that's more of a later on thing to go over but it is an interesting side of the federation that i feel like doesn't get discussed very often i think because in comparison to like the klingons or the romulans who are pretty pretty horrific really when you think about the average citizen's life people tend to give the federation a break and talk about them as if they're this perfect entity and everyone wants to live there and to be fair I probably would want to live there too. They have things like replicators and transporters. Like, that would be awesome. I'd love to live in the Federation. But I, I do get concerned at times about their rights. And again, that's that's something that will come up more later in the writing. I think at this point, it's not too big a deal. I mean, oh, I'm not even sure if the word Federation has been used yet. We get a whole lot of Earth ships still. And we're still getting a whole lot of Earth colonies. I think they've mentioned the Federation, but at this point, I still think in Season 1 of Star Trek, the Federation isn't really an idea that the writers know what, what it is yet. They're still treating this more as a, like, human empire that has some aliens that they've made friends with within it. Or, at one point in one of the episodes, I believe they made a comment about how we conquered the Vulcanian people, which... You know, we now know is not true, and that's not what they decided to go with, but in this season I still feel like we're in those early days of none of the writers really know what the overall story is, and that sort of makes sense because, well, this is the start. Star Trek Season 1 is 
a new show. It's trying to prove itself to the network. It's trying to get viewers and the writers, as much as they probably want to go crazy with their writing creativity and create this big universe, they're kind of having to do episodic, we need a new story. It needs to be cool. We need the characters to be relatable. They're just trying to make every episode sell so that they might get renewed for another season, which, you know, spoilers, they do. And spoilers, they will stay around for, at this point, 50-something years on TV. But, um... Yeah, season one, it wasn't a guarantee. All these people, this could have been like a one-year job or a couple months of filming, and then the network may have just said, nah, your show didn't do good enough, Star Trek's off the air, and it's all over. So at this point, a lot of the overall story is still kind of pieced, pieced together a little bit, but it's they haven't really built it yet. They don't know if there's a point in writing that much background information just yet. They will... I don't know when it starts. There's an episode I know in Star Trek called Babel, where they really, I think that's where the Federation really becomes a big uh, sticking point in the writing. And I know that's an original series episode, but I could not tell you if that's season two or three. I have no idea. I'm pretty certain it's not season one. That's all I can say. But anyway, so this episode, we get an interesting, there's a woman on the planet called Layla, who has a history with Spock. Which is kind of interesting, because for the most part, when women show up with a history, I think we've had one who was in the past with McCoy, and pretty much everyone else has been someone who from Kirk's past. This is the first time we've had Spock have a history, and considering his lack of emotions, it's you know immediately interesting knowing that there is potentially something interesting in his past here between him and this woman. Now... It turns out pretty quickly, she's a biologist, and a few years ago on Earth, I think she says six years ago, she did a project with Spock. Him being a scientist makes sense, they work together. She apparently had feelings for him, but he was, even if he felt anything, he as a Vulcan just never showed it. So, you know, it's that weird, she liked him, and nothing really happened because he's a Vulcan. Kind of how I feel like most relationships with Vulcans would go. You know, that was interesting. It was cool to see that Spock is not as two-dimensional as he appears at times. There is a little bit more to him. Like, I know going forward there will be a lot more, but at this point in the show we haven't seen a whole lot of that. So when the spores hit Spock, because he went for a walk with this woman, she wanted to show him something, and she showed him the flowers. Now, the flowers hit him with the spore, and at first he was in pain. He was on the ground, he was complaining about how much this hurts and how this shouldn't be happening. And even she started freaking out a little bit, like, this this didn't happen with anyone else. What's going on? But after a few seconds, he calmed down. He And then he really calmed down. He starts smiling, and he's holding her hand, he's happy, and he's cloud-watching with her and climbing up the tree. And, you know, he becomes almost childlike, which is interesting. It's, it's a really big, you know movement away from what Spock normally is to see him like that with this childlike happiness and just an emotion in general but like it it um it's interesting and we get a really funny interaction where at this point Kirk goes to contact his landing crew who have sort of split up a few of them are around most of them are still back at their main colony with him but he realizes two people are missing One's a biologist who McCoy points out, you know, I do know where he is. He's gone just outside of town. He's gone to have a look at the at the crops to see what they're actually growing. Have a look at the soil, do some scans. And Kirk says, all right, what about Spock? And McCoy just shakes his head and everyone shakes their head. And no one's heard from Spock, so he tries to contact him on the communicator. And we get a great little interaction with Spock just not caring at all. Normally he's such a, like, professional 
at all times of the day. There are no emotions. He doesn't worry about things. He just does as he's asked all the time. But he gets contacted at this point, and he's sort of he's slow at answering because he's busy. He's looking at this woman. He's cloud gazing. Eventually, he pulls down. And he says, "Yes, Captain. Is there something you wanted?" In a very non-caring kind of way, he says it in a very like "leave me alone" voice, which is from Spock. Pretty interesting. Like Kirk and the others are immediately taken aback of it, and Kirk's like, "Well, at your earliest convenience, Mister Spock, I would like you to come back here." And then when Spock says, mm, "I don't think I want to." He says, oh, you, you don't think you want to? Well, we have been ordered to evacuate the colony. I need you to come back here and help me coordinate the teams that are going to be evacuating. And Spock just says, oh, I don't think that'll be necessary. There won't be an evacuation, Captain. <laughs> to which Kirk's just... And then he hangs up on Kirk. He just closes it. Says, I'm not reporting back and there won't be an evacuation. And Kirk's just, like, dumbfounded looking at his... Looking, sorry, at his communicator. Like, what just happened? Did... did did Spock just, like, commit mutiny? Like, I'd be confused too. Like, what? The, when Vulcans go rogue, that's that's a rare thing. That's a pretty concerning one. Like, okay, something was already weird about this planet. Whatever weirdness is here has just caused my Vulcan on board to go happy. To just not care. He's going emotional. What's going on? Anyway, he catches up with him. Spock tries to... What do you call it? Tries to tell him not to worry about it. Tries to tell him to come look at the flower. Now, the flowers are there, and they do spot out their spores again, but it hits... I think it's McCoy? No, I don't think it is McCoy, actually. I think it's one of the other biologists that we didn't get a name for. And Sulu. Who... It was interesting to see Sulu. Like, he didn't really get to do much, but, like, it is cool to see, like, they're keeping up. Sulu was... Sulu. What do you call him? Sulu. He is not Sulu. He's Sulu. Uh, He came down to the planet because he's a botanist. Like, the first time we met him, he was in his little botany bay. Botany bay. He was in his little, like, botanist lab, and he had all the, like, living plants and stuff. So, we haven't... Other than that, we've only seen him on the bridge doing some actually piloting of the ship we haven't gotten to see much of that other science side of him which i think i admitted in that episode that i forgot was even a thing so it was kind of nice in this episode that they you know they sort of reference that i need a bio i need a biological team of like no not a biological team he said he's bringing the doctor and some biologists and of course sulu is one of the heads of those departments so he comes down which was a nice little reference and a nod back to like yeah there is some continued continuality going on here sorry i struggled with that word like we are actually referencing our old episodes now which is almost a first i don't think at this point they've done much of that like later on we'll get heaps of that we'll get lots of talking about incidents from past shows and talking about incidents from past episodes or seasons back and people always referencing these events even from the movies sometimes some of the movie stuff gets talked about a lot in the shows But at this point, none of that other stuff exists, and we're sort of doing episodic, where every episode is different, and we're very rarely even discussing or talking about the past episode. So, it was a small thing, but from a writing perspective, and obviously the way the writers by episode 25 were starting to look and think about the episodes when they wrote them, they were starting to see Star Trek as more of a continuation, its own universe and its own story, rather than just, what are we going to write for today's episode? maybe i'm reading too much into it but that was the feels i got listening to sulu and seeing him be put in the face again and having all these little references which was nice it it's good to see star trek evolving as i'm watching it now like it's interesting 
because the whole spore thing, like, it gives you full healing. It apparently can heal your organs. It brings back all sorts of things. So that was kind of cool. But it obviously comes with the side effect of basically you're in a state of just euphoria all the time. It's like the best part of being a stoner without any of the side effects, without slowing down too much, without any of the withdrawals. Like, you don't need to keep getting spored. Apparently you get spored once and you're just in that state for... I don't know how long. These people, about three years. So apparently lasts a long time. However, Kirk. Kirk manages to avoid the spores. Like, at this point, they manage to send... Well, the Dr. McCoy gets infected, and he ends up, during the process of evacuating, beams up a bunch of the plants that have the spores in them because he wants to include the crew in what's happening without telling Kirk. Now, we get a comment from Kirk that because of the way the filtration system worked, the, the spores, once they got on board, basically spread through the ship pretty quickly, and, like, the entire crew except Kirk were infected. Now, the whole crew, pretty much just mutinies. In a very peaceful way, they just sort of tell Kirk, no, there won't be an evacuation, we're all going down to join the colony, and they all just start beaming down in groups. Kirk, at this point, doesn't know what to do. He tries ordering a few people, like, get back to your post, you are not joining the colony, and... One of them just outright smiles at him and says, I'm sorry, Captain, but I am joining the colony. There won't be an evacuation. I need to go now. And he just turns around and gets back in the queue to transport down. And then, then we get a almost sad scene of Kirk on the bridge. He can't communicate with anyone because Uhura has basically sabotaged the communication array so that it can only communicate with the planet. And that's it. Kirk says that the ship could last about seven months with him aboard with the automated systems, and then after that, presumably it will fall or start to have issues. And he's alone. Everyone else at this point has gone down to the planet, and it's just Kirk all on his own on his ship. Which is kind of sad, because we're so used to seeing him as like the commander that his crew are pretty much deathly loyal to. He is always in control. He's always got people. He's always giving orders. It's very rare that we get to see him truly alone. Like, he's been separated, like in the Gorn episode, of course, he was on the planet, but that was because a powerful alien beamed him down. He still had his crew who were back on the ship trying to get to him. We've never seen him be fully abandoned like this. His entire crew basically mutinies, goes to the planet, and has no interest in coming back. And he's just left up there all alone. And it's a very different side of the captain, I guess we get to see. It's the idea of an empty ship with just like one command officer walking around is not something that comes up that often, but it does come up other times in Star Trek. But this is definitely a first for the original series, and it's the only one I can think of off the top of my head with Kirk. Like, I believe there's a Picard episode where he's on his own, and I know for a fact that there's at least one or two Voyager episodes like that with uh, Janeway, but as far as Kirk goes, I didn't remember this. It was interesting. Now, Kirk does eventually get hit with the spores. Now, why the spores didn't affect him when they were going through the filtration system on the ship or when he was standing right next to other people and they got hit, I'm not really sure. I actually wrote in my notes that Kirk seems to have some kind of resistance or immunity to it because that's how it seemed. It seemed like it covered him as well and it didn't affect him. So I thought maybe he had something special to him. But apparently not because a little later on, Kirk is sitting at one of the stations on the bridge and a little flower plant that's been sat in front of that station spits right all over him and he starts smiling because it's affected him. He calls up Spock and says, I'm, I'm one of you now. I'm going to be coming down. But in the process of him coming down, he finds a medal. Now, I don't really know what the medal is. 
some kind of medal that he's obviously gotten at some point that he was very proud of, and it evoked quite an emotional response in him looking at it, thinking about leaving his ship and his career. It wasn't enough to stop him, but it made him think. You could see on his face that he's like, I'm not so sure what I'm doing. He got to the transporter room, and he was about to transport down, and he gets really angry with himself. He has this moment of, like, once I leave the ship, we won't be able to transport back because there'll be no one on the ship to use the transporter. Like, once I go down, we're all truly stranded. The, even if we all come to, you're going to just sit there for seven months watching the ship orbit until it falls. Like, there's no way back after that, and there probably won't be another ship in the region in any time enough to save the ship. And Kirk has a real angry response to this, and his anger and his baser, like, violent instinct actually breaks the hold that the spores have on him, which gives him the key. That's what he realizes, that's that's how I break this. This is how I'm going to save the crew. I need to make people have an emotional response that is anger. Anger or violence so that they can break free. Now, uh, so, sorry, I was trying to think. So, the next thing that happens, which I actually thought was really cool, was he decides to call Spock, and he pretends to still be infected and tells Spock, I need you to come up to the ship. I realize once I leave, no one else can come down. Can you come up and help me grab some equipment, move some things around? It shouldn't take long, and then we can come down and join the colony. Spock comes up. He's fine with that, except Kirk's waiting for him with a little metal pole that he looks like he's ready to just beat Spock with because he even says in his log, I'm not sure I'll survive this. Angering a Vulcan like this with his strength far more than my own could be lethal. But what other choice do I have? Now, personally for me, I would have probably contacted Scotty or McCoy first and tried to get them angry because, you know, from a medical or an engineering perspective, because he wanted Spock's help to do something, he wanted to create a signal booster through the comms that would allow everyone to apparently get angry. Or make them fight. I don't know. Maybe it's a specific sound wave that makes people agitated. I know there is some kind of science to that. But I'm no expert at all on the sound wave thing. But he wanted him. And I just thought that was so dangerous. Because he's right. Vulcans can beat the shit out of people. Vulcans, while they don't often lose their temper. The whole reason that their culture is as controlling over its emotions as it is. Is because of how strong they are. And how disastrous it is when one of them doesn't control their emotions. I mean, humans think we're bad. We have psychopaths and we have people that, you know, do all sorts of horrible things. But, you know, take that up. Times that by about four for a Vulcan and what they're capable of. Plus, you add into the fact that, like, they have telepathy. They have mental powers. They can torture you in ways that humans can't even dream of. A Vulcan going off the rails is scary. So, Kurt going out of his way to start attacking him. He doesn't just outright hit him. At first, he insults him. He tries to get him angry. He calls him a half-breed. Tells him that he's nothing more than a computer chip that should have been printed instead of born. Tells him that his parents were nothing more than biological computers that would have been better off being crafted by a superior species. You know, he, he says all sorts of pretty mean things to him. He calls him a half-breed, says he wouldn't look out of place at the circus next to the dog-faced boy, where everyone could come and laugh at the inferior in Vulcan. And, you know, eventually it works. At first, Spock just tries to, like, he goes to hit the transporter to, like, leave. And that's when Kirk goes to physically stop him. And Spock turns around and goes to hit him. He misses, but he manages to hit the pole in his arms. And with one punch, the pole just, like, bends in half. And it's a thick metal pole. So, like, to have the strength to do... Obviously, I know, it's, it's cinema, it's a prop. The prop probably is just, like, a bendy piece of rubber that is designed to just bend like that instantly that they're painted to look like metal. But the idea in the story is, of course, that Spock has turned around with his great strength and just busted it in half 
with one punch. And you just look at it, you're like, yeah, yeah, if a Vulcan loses his shit and hits you in any way, that's your spine. He's going to one punch you and you will never walk again. <laughs> that is the sort of power that Vulcans walk around with. If they weren't all such calm and collected monks, they would be a terrifying species that would make the Klingons look like pansies. But uh, luckily for the universe, they're not like that. Because, you know, when they were, they were much more violent and had a lot of civil wars and nearly destroyed themselves. Which makes sense, considering what humanity's nearly done to itself without all those extra things. But anyway, they work together. They manage to do exactly like I said. They fix up a generator, manage to fix up the communications so that it can beam through some kind of sound wave that gets everyone agitated. And we get a few scenes of, like, people fighting. Like, we get McCoy talking to the col- the colony's leader. Obviously, they're both being agitated, but they don't realize it yet. And the colony leader says to him, I'm going to have to find a new job for you. I'm not really sure what to do. And McCoy says, well, I'm a doctor. That's what I do. And colony leader says, well, not on this planet. On this planet, we have the spores. They keep us all in perfect health. There is no use for a doctor. I'll have to assign you another job. <laughs> to which McCoy stands up and says, well, you're going to be needing a doctor in a minute if you try and tell me that I'm not a doctor anymore and goes to like beat the shit out of him. I think he hits him once or twice. And then he falls to, and then the guy falls to the ground, and suddenly the sound, like the the violence of the situation, has caused them both to snap out of it. Until the colonial leader is, you know, he's on the ground. He's like, "What have I done? Three years, I've accomplished nothing. I've wasted years here." And that's where I kind of come in, and I'm like, I don't actually know if Kirk was right here, because he's got this whole idea that like humans are nothing if they're not challenging themselves to become better. And I agree that a lot of people are like that. There are definitely people. I mean, my dad is like that. My dad's one of those people that could not sit still. Spent my whole childhood saying he wants to retire near a beach. And I know full well that retiring near a beach means renovating his house every year. It means having one project or another. He's not the type of person that can sit still. And I've met lots of people like that in my life. They cannot sit still. They just can't. They need to be constantly challenged, whether it's physical or mental. A lot of people feel that way. But... And that's where I'm I'm not sure if they actually did the right thing. There are also people that are the opposite. Like, I feel like I'm the opposite. I don't mind a challenge. It can be fun sometimes. But honestly, a life of bliss like that, where I'm in perfect health, I don't have to worry about anything, everything's largely taken care of, I can just plotter around in the garden for a bit, don't have to worry about bills, always happy, like, never feeling left out or needing to do the social stuff, like... That planet truly sounds like a utopia for me. I'm down for it. I believe there's a lot of humans. I don't think it's a majority. I think from what I've observed in my life, it's like I I think people like me are like maybe 20% of humanity, if that. But there are definitely people like me and us, probably some of you listening, I'm sure, that that sounds nice. People always say things like, oh, what would you do without challenge? I'm like, if I'm happy, I guess I'd just be happy. Why are so many people violently against the idea of being just happy? I don't, I don't understand, but apparently I'm not like that. But uh, Spock did say one thing after after the fight with Kirk that I kind of liked, and I kind of related to in some ways, where after it leaves him, because you can see there's a moment where like the bliss leaves his face after he's like attacked Kirk. He literally, he breaks the pole. I didn't mention he grabs Kirk and literally throws him against the wall, like across the room, which is pretty cool. 
They're also a little scary, but like in that moment, you can see his face. He like watches Kirk hit the floor, and that's when the spores obviously leave his system, and he sort of has this realization of, oh, I just, I just hit my captain. I could have killed him, and I've been emotional this whole time. But then he says something that made me a little sad for him, where he says, "I don't fit in anymore. I am not one of them." And I was like, oh, that. See, that is sad, because again, this planet never gets brought up again. But I'm like, again. That seems like a perfect solution for the Vulcans. They have this issue where they have to live their whole life like monks, fighting down their emotions to stay stable people. And here's a plant where with just a quick spray of some spores, they wouldn't have to be emotionless monks and have the jokes about being computers. They just have one spray in the face, and so long as they can avoid getting into fights, they would be happy. They would be able to be more of who they suppress and who they were born. Which is sad that they don't get to do that. You know, I can kind of relate to that. I've mentioned before I'm autistic, so the whole social settings, I never quite feel like I belong. I always feel like an odd one out. That's why I kind of like the Vulcan characters. I don't suppress my emotions quite to the degree that they do. I just, in the weird autistic way, don't feel them the same. But I always relate to Vulcan characters in that way to a point where it's, they can sit in a room full of people who do respect them and are their friends, and they still are the odd one out no matter what they do, just by their nature. I find that relatable, and seeing Spock kind of happy for an episode, you know, he was with a woman, he was happy, he was talking about dragons, he was talking about the clouds, he was just doing his thing, I was like, I I almost feel like it was cruel for Kirk to take that away from him, because that's, is for the first time in his life he belonged, and he was had that stripped from him, and then he had to go back to his logical self, where it made logical sense to help the crew, but I don't know. I don't know, that that got me a little, I was like, that part of the episode, I was like, that really, that sucks, that really sucks for Spock, I, I wish he had been able to stay, and I wish they had brought these flower spores a bit more often, because I think they're really cool, and also, I have to say, this is more of an out of episode thing, but like, those flower things, if all it takes is getting angry to make the effects go away, why are they not being harvested, like seriously, these, they should be whole agricultural worlds, they should be taking these things everywhere, just for the healing benefit. Like, I can, without spoiling too much, there's an episode in Next Generation where Worf, a Klingon who, it just strikes me that we haven't actually seen Klingons in the original series yet, but uh, anyway, Worf, who is a Klingon who is on the Enterprise later on, spoilers for anyone that doesn't know, but uh, he gets injured, and there's a whole medical episode about trying to help him, and they struggle because Klingons are warrior culture, they don't really care about science, their medical science basically just doesn't exist. If someone is too weak to fight, they're just killed. The idea of healing them hasn't been explored. So there's this whole episode about the doctor desperately trying to medically fix him. And all I could think this whole episode was about that episode. I was like, imagine if these flowers were a thing and they had taken them up and had planets. Like, you could just literally order one of them in or maybe just replicate them, spit it in his face for a second. Yeah, he'd be happy and he'd probably resent being made to feel weak like that, but he would heal all his organs his spine everything would have gone back to the way it should have been and then you just punch him in the head or something like get him angry for a moment push him to the ground or push him into a wall do something that pisses him off and then he's back to himself but he's fully healed but then again that's probably why the flowers don't come up again is because it would ruin a lot of the future storylines tension if we just had an instant heal plant it just feels weird that they introduced it and then it never comes up again there's so many opportunities for this plant 
And and the humor side of it. I'd love to see funny episodes about colonies going dark. Why? Oh, well, we sent some flour in to heal someone, and I guess everyone took a bit too much, and now the planet's kind of turned into a bunch of stoners for a week. Well, for a few months, and we got to go wake them up. You know, that would just be a fun kind of half-reoccurring story that could happen. Maybe you get a crew member that gets addicted to it, and actually, you know, they could explore that storyline with it. But I don't know. I don't know, I just feel like there was a lot of potential with this plant that sort of gets swept aside pretty quickly in the story. And then, I mean, they leave. I mean, at the end of the episode, it seems like the colonists can't stay because the only reason they were surviving the Berthold Rays, which was the original reason everyone came here, was apparently because of the spores. It was keeping them alive and healing them from the damage it would have done, but the fact that all their animals aren't there probably shows it didn't work for everyone. So they had to evacuate them. Now they were back in their sane minds. They were all taken back up to the ship. And presumably a lot of them probably went to set up another colony. Some went back to Earth. We don't know. But that's the end of this episode. So that was the episode called This Side of Paradise. Personally, really liked it. I thought it was cool. But uh, that's all I have to say for now. Bye for now. And I'll see you in the next one.